A River to Cross, Chapter 20, Coming of Age. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs, Chapter 22, Verse 6. Surely there must be some place I fit in, some place that needs me. Fitting in, finding my place was the recurring theme throughout my life. Finding that place was especially significant through my high school and college years. Almost any opportunity that presented itself was the channel I flowed in, attempting to find my place in the world. I attended Franklin High, Kapai Lincoln Junior College, and then finally the University of Mississippi, the necessary educational channels on the way to a life's goal of practicing law with my father. Tragically, I had bypassed the words God spoke so plainly to me when I was 12 years old. You are here to serve me. God has a plan for relationships, and he sets boundaries in place that honor him and are a blessing to both of the people. When I had my first serious love early in my college years, I thought she was the girl of my dreams. I disregarded God's boundaries to serve my own selfish motives because I felt I deserved to be happy. My selfish motives caused harm to both of us and the relationship was destroyed. I don't think it was until writing this book I fully realized the destructive impact of my failures. Tragically, those mistakes, those selfish, destructive moments and circumstances have repeated themselves several times. I have, over the years, attempted to look up and apologize to as many people whose lives were damaged by the floods in my life as I could. Nevertheless, my continuing overflow clearly caused harm that can't be fixed with an apology. The harm flows from doing things my way. Oh, that I could undo that which I have done. A bell cannot be unrung, and apologies do not fix or repair pain caused and damage inflicted. God forgives, but there is a lesson I know now, but not then. I can choose my path, but not my consequences. When I ignore God, there will be consequences, and His forgiveness does not avoid the consequences. They are with us always. In 1966, God said, you will serve me. But my goal was law school, coming back home to Meevelin, working with my father and Jimmy Torrey in their law office. I never seriously thought about pursuing the call God had on me. I was intent on my way. Everything else was just a necessary step along that ultimate path. Forgotten was the call of God upon my life, dating back to the Meadville Baptist Revival at age 12. I had my own agenda, and it ruled above all, a mistake I was to repeat over and over throughout my adult life. I remember the moment that I thought I had found my place. I was a senior in college, and I had a job as a bartender at the warehouse restaurant and bar in Oxford, Mississippi. During my college days, I had waited tables in a sorority house. I had worked construction. I had volunteered a little in a restaurant setting for my close friends, Angelo and Joe Dale Mistelis. And I had worked in a meat market for the iconic Mr. Johnny Smith through ShopRite Grocery, owned by my good friends Jerry and Jamie White of Oxford. 
Now, I was one of the lead bartenders at The Place to Go. I thought I had finally found the place where I fit in. I remember how I used to walk around the square in Oxford with my friend and fellow bar worker, Chuck Balch. I had a uniform, faded glory jeans with the same seams turned out, black t-shirt with a rising sun on the front, Justin Western boots. What I had sought all my life was realized. I thought in that place and time and position, I have found my place. I fit in. I am somebody. I say all that to show just how desperate I was to find a place. When you fail to plan God's way, it may look right and feel right. It may be that for decades things could go well, but in the end, there are consequences. I live with those consequences every day. I can't look back and think of myself as deserving of it, but I graduated Ole Miss and was accepted into the Ole Miss School of Law. I had to get serious, well, more serious than I had been up to then. I plunged into law school, worked hard my first year, and laid a foundation that I hope portrayed me as being as serious about my career. I also found a group of friends, and we began to find fields of play that provided what we saw as a counterbalance to the work we had to put in. Like everything else in my life to date, I never learned to keep that fun in the banks. I always found ways to overdo it. The partying in law school was no different, just higher stakes. I thought I was finally starting to find a real spot in life, a spot that seemed to have my name on it. In law school, I managed to get myself onto the moot court board, was elected vice president of the law school, and became a member of Phi Delta Phi, a good legal fraternity. Karen was a great-looking girlfriend who was focused and moving forward, and I thought at that moment I would take that journey with her. In classic form for me, my ultimate achievement, as I saw it, was to be a member of the Duckheads intramural football champs. I thought, it doesn't really get any better than this. My complete lack of understanding of my place and purpose in the world wasn't any better at this point than it had been when I was trying to be a Meadville Cardinal. I was all about doing and being what made me feel good. I had no real sense of having a purpose beyond my immediate feelings. It was me first, now, in everything. That is to say, I was floating down the river of life at high speed, ill-equipped and ill-prepared. I was headed for a day of reckoning that would be worse than the awakening John Smith and I had in the Homochitta River in the spring of 1973. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Proverbs twenty twenty four. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. The call of God is for us to be in relationship with him and then to follow after him. Jesus did, and our job is simply to be in him. The restlessness of needing to do is a dangerous place for one with an addictive personality. Help us to be still and trust in you, God, for in Christ you have done all that needs to be done. Help us to hear and respond to your call to come unto you, and you will give us rest. Chapter 21. Two shall become one. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Matthew 19, verse 5. In 1977, my senior year in law school, my life's goal of being a lawyer and practicing law in Meadville, Mississippi, in the firm of McGehee, McGehee, and Torrey was in sight. My grades weren't at the top, but they weren't at the bottom. As my old friend Bard Seldon of Tunica likes to say, no matter where you are in the law school class, if you get out, they still call you counselor. She told me later that she didn't plan or even want to go to the party that night, but her friends urged her to go, relax, and loosen up a little. Her words to me much later were, I came into the kitchen to see if I could help, and a strange man with long blonde hair hanging down a broad back covered in a rugby shirt was cutting up meat. He turned, saying something mistakenly thinking it was the hostess who had entered the room. Oh, my God, that is the man I am going to marry, was her unwanted response to seeing him. The him was me, and the her was Prudence Owens. She was in her final semester of a graduate school program in art that resulted in her achieving a terminal degree, an MFA from Ole Miss. I was just as smitten as Prudence was. When we left the party that night, headed for the fire tower just out of town, a young lady who was friends with both of us, even though Prudence and I had never seen each other before, Deborah May Muck-Williams said, Spit off the top for me. We got into my silver Mustang listening to Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark, and that's what happened on this weekend before Valentine's Day, 1977. On September 17, 1977, the day Ole Miss beat Notre Dame in Jackson, Mississippi, Prudence and I were married in Tunica, Mississippi, and began our 36 years together. My dad told me when I was a little boy that finding a good woman was second only to being rightly related to God, the most important thing I could ever do. I agree, and Prudence did and does qualify as a really good woman. I proposed to her within six weeks of our meeting. That proposal was made in front of the Lyceum building at Ole Miss. The classic proposal was the initial step into a great life with a really good woman. Immediately after our marriage, we moved to Meadville and began life, or at least that's the way I saw it. I didn't realize that the channels I had been constructing for almost 24 years were without some major re-engineering going to direct the course of our lives, quite often in directions we would rather have avoided. My parents and my law partner, almost like another parent, Jimmy Torrey, had gone together and completely restored Miss Kitty Hardy's house just around the corner from the law office in Meadville. In fact, Prudence could look out the back window of our house and see the office. We moved into that home, which was very nice and had graciously been provided to us. A young couple couldn't ask for a better or an easier start. Our friends, our family, the community could not have met us more graciously. I was not satisfied. I immediately began to make plans to build our own house out in the country on family land given to us. The McGehee family had deeded a little over seven acres to me earlier that year. This was a gift my father had arranged for giving us a beautiful spot on the corner of our family place that had been in our family for the better part of a hundred years. 
By the next spring, we were engaged in the process of building a log house on our land. This would become the centerpiece of our lives together, the place where we would, for better and for worse, continue our lives together for decades to come. Originally, our home was a 20 by 30 foot log cabin with a like size upper story to it. We plunged into both the building and the living with great hope and anticipation. We had many, many gatherings of family and friends there over the next 30-plus years. Our home became a place of fun for many, a place of healing for some, a place of beginnings for our three children, a place of much prayer and training of children for many years. Tragically, it ended as the emblem and ever-present reminder of all the mistakes I've made in life. Prudence and I were not able to conceive children naturally, so we pursued adoption with joyful abandon. No child could ever be more our own than our three children, Cage, Simmons, and Abby, that God blessed us with. I think it's best said in the words of a needlepoint that hung in our home, Neither flesh of my flesh nor bone of my bone, you grew not under my heart but in it. With the addition of our first child, we added on to our little log house and made it into a home that was just right for the three of us, which would later become the five of us. Living on the bank of the Homochitta River in Franklin County, Mississippi, we had a life to be sought after by anyone who loves peace and enjoys the beauty of nature. We were blessed with great friends, a small but good church family at Bude Methodist, good employment for me in the law firm, and Prudence as a college-level art professor at the University of Southern Mississippi at Natchez. We were blessed. Why I couldn't see the storm clouds gathering, I don't know. I'm not sure they were obvious to many, but I sense my parents could see them. I was becoming, as had been predicted many years ago, too big for my britches. That is to say, I wouldn't stay within the banks of that great life that was there for me. I was truly never satisfied. I always wanted more. My choice in life in every instance was more. More money, more cars, more horses, more alcohol, more relationships, I got more of all of the above, but there was still no peace, no contentment, no real joy. What I see now but didn't see then is that with more, there is a corresponding less. The more I had, the more I wanted. The more I wanted, the more I sought. All of this led to less peace, less focus on family, and losing sight of the foundation that I knew was the basis for life, Jesus the bottom line is what we just read in Proverbs twenty twenty four at the end of the previous chapter. A person's steps are from the Lord. God wanted the Israelites to reach the promised land, but as they kept turning their backs on what his plan was, he allowed them to enjoy the fruit of their own choices. In Romans one twenty eight, the Bible says, God gave them up to a debased mind. You can choose not to obey, but you cannot choose the consequences. Jonah chose not to go to Nineveh, but the storm he ran into was worse than the storm he thought he was running from. Jonah wanted to do things his way, not God's way. That decision is always wrong, and it always comes with pain and loss. Someone asked me whether I believe alcoholism is truly a disease. 
I guess in one sense it is a disease, but this writing has shown me that my path has been drinking or preaching since I was at least two years old. The choice of an alcoholic to all things in life, good and bad, is more. The more I sought after so hard put me on a collision course with everything I never wanted. Disease of mind and body, destruction of family, home, health, finances, reputation, divorce, and death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. We are surrounded by a culture of more of everything as being better. This is contrary to living life trusting God who says, My grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9.